So with that, I have the opportunity to introduce to you a great man. Um, and I got to hear him speak this morning. And you guys are going to be blessed because it is just uh, what God's, it's on God's heart right now for this church. And so um, Jeff Drott is a, uh, he's one of our uh, executive pastors and he's, he's over counseling here uh, at The Rock and he has just uh, been a huge addition um, to, to the leadership of this church and just w- in where we're going in the direction of this church. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce this man, Jeff Drott. It's hard to send Mike anywhere and him not get in trouble. I mean, it's just part of his DNA and nature. You know, like, I would have come visit you, you know, at least you're going to be in prison or something. But uh, glad you made it back safely. I had, I had one of those interesting weeks that uh, I got to hear something from the Lord while I was saying goodbye to my mama. She's 80 years old, and... Uh, I had to tell her, Mama, hit the road. Listen, you've been on this side long enough. You've got done what you wanted to get done. Now get going. And uh, she, she obeyed finally. But uh, I had the privilege of just being with her in the last hour. She peacefully trans- transitioned to the other side. There, from our side, from the, our family, it was not, uh, yes, there's, it's bittersweet, but it's from the standpoint, hey, she's not lost. We know exactly where she is. She's not missing. She's actually having the time of her life. She had a full life. And uh, in the midst of being with her in those moments of watching someone go from life to the real life, I heard the father say something. Because it's in those moments when you're, you're boiling everything down to, what is this all about over here? Really, I mean, what is this all about? And the only thing I could come up with was, it's about what God transforms us from being to becoming. What's real, what's tangible, what's, what's reality is, what he does in us, that's what's lasting. Because it puts us in a place to become positioned or aligned or stabilized so that we can launch into other things that we couldn't do on our own. So as I was uh, speaking at my mom's uh, funeral, I was reminded 10 years earlier, I spoke at my dad's funeral. Now, my mom and dad divorced when I was a year and a half old. They both remarried by the time I was three. My dad married a lady that had three children already, and then they had two together. I was one of his original four. I was actually the baby of the four. So we would take our four in the summer and at Christmas and go to my dad's house in Louisiana, and there would be nine children. Oh, what fun that was. (laughs) Then my mom remarries her high school sweetheart who had been married and had three children, and in the 60s, it was very unusual for the husband to get custody of the children, but he did. 
So we had his three children, our four children, and we had seven in this household. Five boys in one room, two sets of bunk beds, and a single. Mm, you can just imagine what that looked like. In the midst of all those children, one of the things that was the greatest transformation of my life happened when I began to realize I wasn't getting from my father what I needed. I had a stepfather that agreed, and we have a great relationship. My stepdad's awesome. Matter of fact, when, when my mom passed, about 10 minutes, I mean, you know, there was a silence in the room, and there was a hush, and... There was a few with tears, and I'm over there going, way to go, Mom. Tell Jesus I said, I'm coming. I'll be there for long. My stepdad comes over to me, and he says, with tears in his eyes, I want to go with her. I said, stand in line, Hot Rod, right behind me. He's like, no, I'm ahead of you. <laughs> it was so sweet for him to, I mean, he, he just loved my mom so much. Matter of fact, when she was in uh, the rehab center, she'd been in the hospital and she's battling uh, different ailments. And anyway, she was in the rehab center and she fell out of the bed. She was trying to get up, get out of the bed and she just didn't have the strength and she fell. And when that happens in the rehab center, they don't move you. They call for the emergency vehicle so they can take them all back over to the hospital. So she had to lay in the floor for an hour. My 83-year-old stepfather laid right beside her. The nurses that came up and down the hall got to witness an unusual thing, genuine love. He just laid right beside her for an hour, told her how much he loved her. It was so sweet. But he longed to be with his best friend when she was gone. It'd be interesting to watch in the next year, days or years or months, how he responds. A lot of times, many will go quickly after their best friend goes because they, they just long to be with them. And it'll be okay with us. He's had a phenomenal life as well. We love him, and he's, he's been an incredible father to us. But part of the decision they made when we were children is that she would raise her four, and he would raise his three, and they really wouldn't crisscross. And that left a void, left a void for me. Uh, it wasn't his intent, wasn't his heart. It just left a void for me. He attended all my sports, sporting events. He came to everything. He was highly encouraging. But I longed to be affirmed by a father. We have to understand my relationship with my dad. He had his own family now. And I mean, he was busy. He, I mean, he was providing for a family of seven. And, you know, then we would come. And then, my goodness, there's a family of 400, it felt like. And, you know, it was just, I mean, it was a crazy dynamics. And I get saved at 14, and I'm battling bitterness because I don't have his attention. And all the important events that I, I go through, he doesn't attend. I mean, I graduate high school. He never comes. I mean, all my high school events, he never, he never showed up one time, and I played every sport. He just, he didn't come. And, and then, I, then I got married a junior in college, and he didn't come to my wedding. And then I graduated 
I graduated college. It wasn't summa cum laude. It was, oh, laude, I'm out of here, but I graduated. <laughs> but he didn't come. And then we started having grandbabies for him and that would carry his name. I had the only grandson that would carry his name, and he didn't come. And in the midst of this, the father's talking to me about transformations, and part of that is he says to me, I want you to let him go. I said, okay, I'll do that. He said, now, because you have a sorry attitude, I want you to call him and ask him to forgive you. And I said to the Holy Spirit, no way. No way. I'm not doing that. I know you're into transformations. I'm into transformations. I love being transformed, but I'm not doing that. He goes, do you want to be transformed? I'm like, yes, but no. He said, call him. Ask him to forgive you for your sorry attitude. I said, ah, okay. So I called my dad when I was a young man, and I said, Dad, I, I need to ask you to forgive me. And he said, son, I, I, let's don't have this conversation. I said, Dad, I'm having this conversation. He said, I don't want to have this conversation. I said, we're going to have this conversation. I said, I need to hear you say, I forgive you for having such a sorry attitude. He goes, I'm not saying that. I said, yes, you are going to say it. I'm never going to hang up. He said, okay, I'll say it just to get you off the line. Okay, I forgive you if that helps you. I said, it helps me. And he did something. And later in life, I knew that he had come into an encounter with the Lord, and the Lord asked me just to pray that real people would come into his life and minister real Jesus really to him. And at his funeral, when I'm doing his funeral, I had three people come up to me, and all three told me the same story. At work, at the post office, at the flower shop, and his fishing buddy, I want you to know I told your dad about Jesus every day. The real Jesus you talked about at the funeral, that's the real Jesus I told him about. I said, I want you to know you changed his life. And the Lord had already told me, you'll see him in heaven. That's great. So I finished his funeral. I tapped his casket on the way out of the, grave, out of the graveyard. I just tapped his casket and said, Dad, I'll see you on the other side. I was fine. I wasn't shedding any tears. I wasn't, I wasn't brokenhearted. I drove back from Louisiana to Texas, and I went to work the next day. <laughs> next day, we, I was a pastor. We gathered around. We had a business meeting over some things we were going to do. One of the guys prayed, and when they started to pray, I instantly started crying. And I'm like, what is going on? And I couldn't stop. I'm like, this is really embarrassing. I got to go home. And I toughed it out, and I mean, I just, through the whole day, just kept weeping and went to lunch and just sat in my car and sobbed. And I was like, I kept asking the Holy Spirit, what is going on? What are we, what's, what are we going through? And at the end of the day, I remember sitting in my car before I drove home. He said to me, son, what you buried yesterday was the hope that you would ever be affirmed by your father. That's a big deal to a boy. Son, today... I affirm you, and my affirmation is greater than his will ever be, and you've got mine. That second, I stopped crying. That second, I stopped mourning, and not cried over my dad's death in 10 years. That's a transformation. That's what I heard the Holy Spirit say he wants to do in us today. So I want to show you in Scripture how he does this on a regular basis 
you understand the Holy Spirit has left heaven and come to earth for this purpose. I'm going to say that again. He's left heaven, come to earth for this exact purpose. What's the purpose? To help transform us into what God intended for us to be. That's his whole job. He's really good at it, but he wants us to cooperate. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at a couple passages with me. Let's go to Mark chapter 1. While you're turning there, does anybody remember about um, seven or eight weeks ago and I told you that there was going to be a quarterback change for the Denver Broncos? Uh-huh. I don't want to say anything about being a prophet, but uh, I warned you. When I dropped him from my fantasy team six weeks ago, there was a change. I love him. He's had a great career. Come on, Oswaller. All right, look at Mark chapter, chapter 1, verse 14. We want to get a heavenly perspective on what transformations look like. We want to get a satellite view of what is the Holy Spirit trying to do in us today and that we can be stabilized, positioned so that we can be launched. I'm going to show you how he does it in Scripture. Look at verse 14, John. I mean, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 14. He says, now, after John was put into prison, that's John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. What was Jesus preaching? The gospel. Can you give me a definition of what this gospel of the kingdom of God is? It's good news. I agree with that. Matter of fact, that word gospel means almost too good to be true news. It's really better than any, any one of us can describe because it's just, you know, we've always heard if it sounds too good to be true, it normally is. Not true for the gospel. It's better than what you think it is. It's just really good news. But what is the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God? What is that definition? You ever thought about it? What's contained in that phrase? These are the areas that the, that the Holy Spirit's trying to transform us in. The area of faith, the area of belief, the area of salvation, the area of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the area of uh, the righteousness of Jesus. You start plugging in what's in this phrase, and it contains the entire kingdom, and in that kingdom are a number of things that Jesus and the Holy Spirit want to conform in us and transform in us that makes us more an ability to launch into a place that we can affect the world around us. It's in the gospel of the kingdom of God. So how do you put all this in perspective to say, I mean, there's a number of topics. I could just keep going down the list. And how do you put all this in perspective that you don't get bogged down with all this stuff? And, you, and it's like Christianity is too complicated. No, it's very, very simple. The Holy Spirit wants to transform you in every area, and he'll do it systematically, and he'll do it as you allow him, but he wants to partner with you and transform you. Here's how it works. You'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to show you what the Holy Spirit's shown me. When I stepped out of ministry six years ago, I stepped out to rest for a little bit. I felt the Holy Spirit say, you're burning out. I want you to rest for a little bit, but I want to show you some things that you've not seen before. 
And in showing you things, it's going to stabilize you. It's going to realign you. Anybody ever gone to the chiropractor to get a realignment? I really don't like that process. I don't go. Somebody cracking my neck doesn't make me feel better. But I hear afterwards, you like, ah, oh, man, I feel realigned. That's really what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. He wants to realign us, to position us, to stabilize us to so that we can launch into things that, do, that we can do for the kingdom. And it becomes kind of a concentric circle and it goes outward. As he transforms us, we are able to help others to be transformed. That makes sense? So I'm going to show you a three-step process of what he does, how he does it, and what he's doing right now. Matter of fact, in the room today, he's already told me there are people in the room today, he's working on a certain area, and he's wanting you to cooperate with him because there's a transformation that's coming in this process that will stabilize you. A couple of weeks ago, I had something surface at work. I had to sit down with my boss. And I vomited on him. Always a fun day. The next day I met with him, I said, I want you to forget everything I said yesterday. That was purely out of a wound of rejection. I've been wounded by rejection. Anybody else in the building ever had anything to do with rejection? Any? any? rest of you a bunch of liars. <laughs> I said, I, I, matter of fact, I told my owner, he's here today. I said, I'm going to give you permission. I'm exposing something to you. He loves Jesus. I said, I'm giving you permission. When this thing surfaces again, slap it. I said, well, at least acknowledge it and call it for what it is. I want a transformation in the area of rejection more than I want to hold on to my rejection. And I'm asking you, help me. If you see it surface again, help me. I want to be transformed in this area. And I'm admitting to you, I haven't been, but I admit to you, it's here, it's present, it's real, and I need help. He's like, I'll do it. I said, good. Do you mean it? He goes, I really mean it. I said, God, I love working with you. I want to show you in Matthew chapter 13 how this happens. This is the parable of the sower. I want to show you in verse 19, it says this, when anyone who hears the word, first thing that has to happen, you have to hear something. What does the word contain? It's of the kingdom. It's the gospel of the kingdom. When you hear any phrase, whether it's about faith, whether it's about hope, whether it's about salvation, whether it's about freedom, whether it doesn't matter, it's about the Holy Spirit, doesn't matter what it is about the kingdom, the Holy Spirit wants to help you in each of these areas. When you hear something about that kingdom, the word of the kingdom, there's a couple things that happen. One, you have to choose whether you will accept it or reject it. The first person here in verse 19 says, I don't understand that. I don't want that. Then what happens? The enemy comes. He steals the word because he knows the power is in the seed of the word. When the father spoke to me in the car and said, Jeff, my affirmation is greater than your father's affirmation. Will you receive that? I was at this point right here. Do I or won't I take it? I embraced it and it produced fruit in my life. This person said, no, I don't want it. I don't understand it. That's a little weird to me. I'm not accepting it. 
rejected it, and then the enemy comes and immediately steals it. With me? Now look at verse 23. There's a second person. He says, but when he who received the seed on good ground, he heard the same thing. He heard the word and, and understood it. He embraced it. He says yes to it. And then indeed he bore fruit of 160 or 30 fold. So here's the process of any part of transformation. When you got saved, you went through this process. But right now, the Holy Spirit wants to do it on many, many more levels. If your only transformation is salvation, you are not living a victorious life. You're not living the life that the Holy Spirit and that Jesus paid dearly for and that he sent the Holy Spirit to help you get to. He wants you to rule and reign here. To do that, you have to have several more transformations. See, one of the things about church that bugs me is that pastors count nickel noses and numbers. I could care less how many people are in the room. What I do care about is how many people in the room are being transformed. Because without transformations, you're making almost zero impact. Means in, when I've just watched my mama go from life to death. It means you're merely existing and you're not living. And the Holy Spirit wants you to live. There's a major difference between just going through the motions and living. And what he's calling you to today at the table to say is, I want to sow some things in your heart to cause you to live. I want to stabilize you in areas, whether it's in rejection or whether it's in affirmation, it doesn't matter. I want to stabilize you so that you can be in a position to do more for my kingdom. Let me show you how this works. I'm going to encourage you. How I many? No, I'm not even going to ask that. If you're on a Bible reading program, great. I don't like Bible reading programs because they never allow you to stop and ask questions because you're always trying to check off the chapter that you just read. I'm into reading the Bible and stopping and asking questions. For example, there's three things that happen here. One, they had to hear something. Two, they had to understand it, receive it, and three, to produce fruit. So every time that you come across a story in Scripture that somebody's been transformed, you ought to stop and ask three questions. what they hear, what they understand, and what was the fruit of that understanding? Let me just give you an example. Take the centurion. He's a, he's a soldier. He's over a garrison or a unit of an army. He has at least 100 soldiers in his unit. He says to Jesus, Jesus, I too am a man under authority. Stop. What's the topic? Authority. I understand authority. He just revealed to you what he heard, what he understands. I understand authority. I say to soldiers, go, and they go. I say, come, and they come. I get authority. I recognize you are a man under authority, but you are at a higher level authority, and when you speak, things change. I've got a servant that's sick. I need you just to say it, and I know he'll be well. What's the topic? Authority. What does he understand? The power of words with authority. What is the fruit of that? His servant gets healed. Guess what he doesn't understand? He doesn't understand he could say it to his servant. He knows Jesus can, but he doesn't know he can. That's a higher level of understanding than he's currently understanding. His level of understanding is down here 30-fold. There's a higher level when you get the understanding that Jesus is now in me. I speak to servants and they get healed through the name of Jesus. That makes sense? 
How come he didn't understand he could do it? He never heard that part. See how important hearing is? How do you know you can partner with the Holy Spirit if you don't think he wants to partner with you? How can you partner with the Holy Spirit if you think he's weird and wacky? I mean, he is a Holy Ghost. There's entire denominations that want nothing to do with him. Guess what they get? They get no fruit in the benefit of what he has. Yes, they are saved. Yes, they will be in heaven. Yes, I think that may be where the weeping and gnashing of teeth becomes into place when they get to heaven. Just for a short period of time, there may be a little weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like, I could have had that. I could have I exercised. Oh, man. Oh, I'm with Jesus. It's okay. Take one more. Syrophoenician woman. You know, she has a daughter that's being influenced by a demon and all the stuff that's coming with that. She comes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, I need you to set my daughter free. And through kind of a, the disciple trying to push her away, Jesus kind of tests and just see what she understands. He says, uh, that's, you're talking about children's bread and that's, that's not for dogs. And doesn't that sound harsh from Jesus? You just call that woman a dog? What he meant was, I came for the Jews. It's not intended for unbelievers of the Gentiles. And But she says this, yes, Lord, that's true. But even the dogs in the father's house get the crumbs from the father's table. And he marvels at her. What's the topic? What's she here? In the Father's house, there are benefits. There's plenty. There's overwhelming good stuff. And she's a dog in the Father's house. Yep, I'm getting grafted in, but guess what? I'm in the house. The Gentiles later got grafted in. There's only three Gentiles in all of Jesus' ministry that ever received anything from Jesus. The centurion, Roman, her, a Syrophoenician, she was Greek, and then the woman at the well, she was a half-breed Samaritan. Those three brought into their day something that was reserved for another day, and it came through their understanding of what they heard, and they got the fruit today of what was reserved for another day. The fruit is her daughter was set free. How did she get it? Because she understood to say to the master, at least I know that there are dogs in the house and they eat the crumbs off the floor. I get it. I'm going to be in the house. I want the benefits of the house now. And Jesus says, it's yours. She goes home and her daughter's totally well. Seeing the picture? Seeing how this works? This is how he wants to transform you. What area do you need to be transformed in? Let me show you one that's maybe a little more difficult. Open your Bibles, and we'll look at this and, and uh, take, a, take, a different, take a different approach. But look in uh, John chapter 21. I want you to see, see this particular one. We've looked at authority. That's in the kingdom of God. We've looked at uh, the Father's house and what it contains. That's in the kingdom of God. Those messages are there. Look at verse 7 of chapter 21, John. Look at what John says here. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on, put on his outer garment, dove into the water, and swam to the shore. What's the topic? 
The setting is Jesus, after his resurrection, is on the shore, calls out to his fishermen buddies. They don't know who he is. They call out to his fishermen buddies and say, hey, you catch any fish? Bring him. We'll have breakfast. And we hadn't caught anything. He said, cast your net on the other side. And he almost sunk the boat. John says, the disciple whom Jesus loved recognizes this Lord and tells Peter. Peter puts on his garment and dives in. Why is John addressing this as he's writing about himself as a disciple that Jesus loved? He only says it five times. This is one of the five. Why is he going through this process? We as preachers have made fun of John for saying, eh, it's the disciple whom Jesus loved outran Peter to the tomb. So the disciple whom Jesus loved is faster than Peter. Congratulations, John. That's goofy. The disciple whom Jesus loved was leaning on Jesus when he announced, one of you going to betray me. Why is he doing this? Well, I want to compare just a few days. It could have been a month earlier. I want to compare a day in John's life to this statement. All right? If you have your Bibles there, go to Luke chapter... Uh, it's Luke 14. Let me double-check that. Luke 9. I knew that. Luke 9. I'm going to paraphrase some of this for you to shorten it. But Luke 9, 44 through 56, give a day in John's life prior to him making this statement, I'm the disciple whom he loved. And I'm going to show you something about what I've heard from the Holy Spirit concerning John. Verse 44 starts out, where Jesus begins to declare to them about his death. And he says, hey, guys, I'm going, to, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. They don't get it. Look what it says in verse 44. He said, let these words sink down into years. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And in verse 45, but they did not understand that, saying it was hidden from them and that they did not perceive it. And then... It says this. I want you to catch this. Note number one, they were afraid to ask Jesus. John was one of the guys that were afraid to ask Jesus any questions about this. So nobody asked Jesus questions because they're in fear of asking Jesus. Anybody ever been in a relationship where you've been afraid to ask whoever you're in a relationship with? You ever lived in fear? It's miserable. Miserable. John goes from that to they pull off by themselves with the 12, and they start arguing over who's going to be the greatest. I'm not going to take the time to read, but who's going to be the greatest? Jesus uses the gift of the Holy Spirit, a word of knowledge, and perceives what their conversation is because he's not included. And he pulls the child, puts it in the middle, and says, if you're not the least of these, we'll be the greatest of these, and you guys are having a dumb conversation. So he goes from being afraid to ask Jesus to bragging on who's going to be the greatest. Now they leave that scenario, and John pipes in right after that and says to Jesus, oh, by the way, there were some guys casting out demons who don't follow us, and I rebuked them, and I set them in their rightful place, and I let them know that wasn't appropriate because they're not followers of us, and therefore I just wanted you to know I really am the man. And Jesus goes, why would you talk against somebody who's for us like they were against us? If they're for us, they're not against us. They're on our team. That was dumb. So in baseball, three strikes, you're normally out. John didn't stop there. He went for the fourth one. 
Right after that, they head to a town in Samaria. It's a little small village in Samaritan. And they sent forerunners as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. And they sent forerunners and they're saying, hey, Jesus, the king of the Messiah is coming into town. And we want to tell you all about it. And they sent forerunners. And when they got there with Jesus and the disciples, they realized the entire village said, Jesus, take a hike, get out of our village. Sounds very familiar what Mike was experiencing in China. We don't want anything to do with you, Jesus. Hit the road, Jack. John turns to Jesus and goes, that just hacks me off. You want us to call fire down from heaven right now and consume these sapsuckers? Now for a fourth time, Jesus looks at him and goes, you have no idea what spirit you're of. It's not the Holy Spirit. I didn't come to kill mankind. I came to save mankind. Four things in a row, John's revealing to you of what's going on in his life. A few days later, he makes the first time statement, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. Wouldn't you like to know what happened between those days? He's never said it before, and now he makes the statement now, what's transpired in John's life? What's the topic? The topic is the love of God, the love of the Father. What has John heard I don't know. It doesn't say. What does he understand? I can tell you through the fruit. Remember the first thing John was afraid? Remember that? First time John says, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. When he's leaning on Jesus, he's in the upper room. They're about to have communion, and Jesus announces to his 12, one of you is going to betray me. There's a holy hush in the room. There's mouths that drop open. There are people looking at each other. It's like, is it you? Is it me? I think it's you. You've always been a scumbag. And, you know, and you can hear that talk going through, and John leans over, and he has no fear. Hey, Jesus, who is it? It's Judas. Peter, it's Judas. Peter had to ask John to ask. John has no fear now to ask. Where has the fear gone? John writes later, perfect love cast out fear. Who was the only disciple that went through the, the arrest, the trial, the scourging, and the crucifixion? Out of the 12, who's the only one that attended all four of those events? John. When we make fun of this statement, we're making fun of it because we don't understand. John's been transformed by the power of the love of the Father. Something has happened in his life. He now is fearless. He's the only one that goes through all of those and he stands by his mama and says, I'll help her. Mama, there's your son. Son, there's your mama. I got it. Where were you, Jesus? Did you also notice in the greatest con confrontation and the rejection of Jesus is at the cross? John's not calling fire down from heaven. He's lost his condemnation of mankind. If you are feeling a condemnation rise up in your heart toward people, you need to be transformed by the love of God. It will settle it for you. It will stabilize it in your life, and you will become the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is the fruit I'm talking to you about. John began to display fruit that nobody else was displaying. Guess who got the secrets of Jesus? John. Jesus, who's going to betray you? Judas. It's Judas. Guess who got the greatest revelation of heaven? John on the island of Patmos when Jesus came to see him. Come on, I'm going to take you on a tour. Wow, he's still alive. He gets a trip into heaven. I'm like, man, you want the secrets of heaven? You want the secrets of Jesus? Get transformed by the love of God.
gets transformed by the power of the love of the Father. You see, we talk about the prodigal son. That great story, you know, we, we label it the prodigal son. Guess what? It's not a story about a prodigal son. It's a story about a father's love. The love of the father, he's the one that comes off the front porch to the, the prodigal son. Guess what? He came off the front porch to both sons. Not one. Both sons had, neither of them had ever caught the father's heart. The love of the Father wants to transform us into a place that we live fearless. Anybody read the book, Heavens for Real? This little four-year-old boy has an encounter with Jesus. He has his appendix out. He, they think he's going to die. He has an encounter with Jesus, has an encounter with heaven. Multiple things come out of that. One of the things that's fascinating about this little four-year-old boy is that when he comes back, he has no fear of death. It's really hard as a father to try to teach your children across the street without looking twice, and you normally teach them off of fear. That car hits you, you are not going to like it. This kid has no fear of death. So his daddy and, and Colton are eating at a, a fast food restaurant, and they, they decide to, uh, after lunch, decide to uh, go out and get in the car, and his dad sees an opportunity to teach his son a lesson. And the lesson is this. He sees a dead animal sitting in the road. So he grabs Colton by the hand. He walks out to the dead animal and says to him, see, son, this is what I've been trying to talk to you about. If you don't look both ways, this is what cars do to animals, and it'll do to people. It will run you over. It'll flatten you. It'll, it, see how he stinks? I mean, he stinks bad. I mean, that thing is dead, and that's what a car will do to you. Do you get it, son? He goes, wow. You mean I'd get to be with Jesus? He's like, how do you argue with this? Because that boy comes back, and in the entire book, you know what he talks about? The love of God. He's now transformed, run for life on the love of God. Spokane, Washington, there's a lady who contracted AIDS. You can imagine how the news hit her. Shame, guilt, sadness, anger. She's got it, full-blown case of AIDS. She hears about the healing rooms in Spokane that were reopened by Cal Pearson in the late 90s, early 2000s, and they're seeing miraculous things happen, and someone tells her about it, so she goes. And they pray over her, and then she goes back and has her blood drawn to check what's happening with the AIDS virus in her body. And what she noticed from the original mark is now dropped a few centimeters, millimeters, whatever the measurement in the blood is. It's dropped. She's like, wow. So she goes back to the healing rooms and asks them to pray again. They pray again, and she comes back, has her blood drawn, and they look again, and it's dropped from the original level down to the first level. It's now dropped again. She goes, oh, my gosh, this is working. She goes back to the healing rooms one day a week for six months. At the end of six months, they draw her blood, and the doctor says to her, honey, I don't know how to tell you this, but the AIDS virus is not detectable in your bloodstream at all. You're AIDS-free. You can imagine the elation and the joy. She's overwhelmed with the gratitude toward the love of God that he's put upon her. She says to Jesus, you've done so much for me. What could I do for you? 
you've done so much for me. What could I do for you? He goes, you want to do something for me? He goes, yes. He said, okay, I want you to go down to the local mall, and I want you to buy as many girl gifts, women gifts, as you can possibly get into your car. And there's, there's, there's a bar downtown Spokane, Washington, that have ladies that dance down there, and nobody pays attention to them. And I want you to go overwhelm them with those gifts. She goes, that sounds fun. So she goes, to, she goes to the mall, she likes shopping, and she loads her car up with all of these gifts for women. She goes down to the bar, she pulls up in front, she goes inside, and she says to the owner, hey, uh, excuse me, sir, are you the owner of the bar? He says, yes. He says, I- I've got some gifts for your girls. Would you mind calling them out? I'd like to bless them. He said, you're going to do what? He goes, I have gifts for your girls. Is it okay if I give them to them? He goes, sure. Yeah, why not? So he calls all the girls out. She brings all the gifts in, and you can imagine what happened. By the end of this session, they are all blubbering. They're, I mean, they're weeping. They're, they, they can't believe all this stuff is for them. Nobody in their entire lives ever paid attention to them. And all of a sudden, she's lavishing them. And so she's on her way out in the barn. And her says, excuse me, ma'am. Come here. Hey, listen, I'm kind of a big wig down here in this part of the district. I know it's not, you know, it's not the high fluting district, but I am kind of one of the big shots. And, you know, what you did today was really pretty, pretty impressive. So if you ever want to do anything down here ever again, you come see me and I'll get it done. This was really good. Thank you for doing this today. My girls, they were really blessed. She goes, okay, thank you. She leaves. She goes out. said, Jesus, that was so fun. He goes, you want to do something else? He goes, yeah, I would love that. I mean, I just, yes. He goes, why don't we have church in that bar? She goes, that'd be amazing. Yeah. So she goes back in and says to the barn owner, hey, um, I have another idea, and I want to have a church service in your bar. He goes, there ain't no way you're having church service in my bar, man. You're off. You're a rocker. You're a little weird to start with, but you're really getting weird now. No. She said, you said I could ask for anything, and you'd get it done, Mr. Big Shot. He said, I did say that, didn't I? I said, yep. Okay, you can have church in the bar. So she goes back out and says, okay, Lord, what do you want church to look like? He says, I want you to call the Hyatt on the other side of the tracks, and I want you to ask them to cater the meal. Really? So there could be over 400 people. She goes, I know. They'll do it. So she calls the Hyatt. She says, hey, this is what I'm doing. I'm putting in a service, and we're bringing in all the drug addicts and all the homeless and the, and the prostitutes and all, everybody, everybody that's in this. We're bringing them all in. We're having one service, and we want you to cater the meal. And they go, we'll do it. So they bring their finest china, and they stack everything up, and they fill the bar, cover all the pool tables with amazing food. I mean, it's top-notch. It's high-end food. I mean, it's, so all the street people accept the invitation, and they all show up. And they walk in and they freeze. We can't eat on that china. We've never eaten on china. She takes him by the hand and said, by God, you're in daddy's house now. In daddy's house, there's a lot of good things and you get a part of that. Today is your day. Take that. Go down, fill your plate. And if you want more, come back. It's plenty. Fed everybody. The church service was she found a few drug addicts, a few prostitutes, and a, and a few pimps that had given their heart to Jesus, and she paraded them across the stage, and every one of them told their testimony of what Jesus had done for them. Many transformed lives that day. At the end of the day, everybody's left. Hyatt's taking all their stuff back. She's finished picking up her stuff and headed to the door, and the bar owner says, ma'am, this time he's weeping. He said, I knew there would be a day God would hunt me down. She said, excuse me? He said, I knew there would be a day God would hunt me down. He said, I don't understand. He said, no, what you don't understand is I used to be a pastor. My wife got cancer 
and I blamed God, and I ran from God, and I, I bought this bar, and I've been living down here ever since. But I knew there'd be a day he would come for me. And that day's today. Because of what you've done, I'm surrendering. I'm going back. I'm coming home. For you see, it's the goodness of God. It's the love of God that makes people repent, that makes people change their mind. The city council was so impressed with what she'd done in the downtown district of Spokane, Washington. They called her into the city council meeting and said, ma'am, we've tried to transform that district for a number of years. We spent a lot of dollars and nothing's happening. We're going to open the entire books of the city council of all the city funds, and we're going to give them to you. You've done more in one event than we've done in years, and we're going to put you in charge now. You transform that district because you have the plan and we don't, and we'll fund everything you want to do. One little lady with AIDS, overwhelmed by the love of God, transforms a city. That's what John is talking about. That's what John says you and I can have. Anybody in the room need a little love, the love of God? Me too. Stand to your feet. Father, every heart represented by a hand that said, I want to be transformed by the love of the Father. I don't understand everything that John went to, but I want to. And as I look into his life and what he went from or went to, I'm asking you today, transform my own life with your love, with your goodness, with your mercy. Overwhelm me with your love, Father. Every hand that was raised here said, I want that too. Holy Spirit, I ask you, in their circumstances and in the situations that they're in, that you began to overwhelm them, that in my Father's house, there's many blessings, there's many good things, and we're in the Father's house that we have access to it today. I ask that you just begin to let us see it so that we can access it and partake of what you've already provided. And I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask our altar ministry team to go ahead and come to the front. If you're here today and you have need of ministry in any area, you're going through something, you want somebody to agree with you in prayer, I'm going to ask you to come down here and let us pray for you and just join you in watching what God wants to do in your life. All right? You received the word today? Go ask those questions. Every person you see in the scripture, ask. What they hear, what they understand, what fruit are they carrying out of that? I want the fruit. God bless you. You are dismissed.